Welcome everyone to the fantasy and betting podcast presented by the 33rd team. I'm your host as always, Josh Lurkey. You can find me on Twitter at J tweets joined with me as always my co-host, the associate director of fantasy and betting at the 33rd team, Ryan Reynolds at Ryan Reynolds NFL on Twitter. We have a special guest, the 33rd team's own contributor, best ball mania winner himself, former chess teacher, poker player the list goes on and on we have liam murphy at chess liam on twitter liam we're just going to kick this off with some best ball talk who's the worst first round pick on underdog right now oof tough question i'm going to go with Devonte adams though um you know a the jimmy g train i don't think that is necessarily great news for Devonte adams like you know throwing the ball deep leading the passing touchdowns B it seems like uh, he Jimmy had a mystery surgery in March and, and who's the backup? You guessed it. Brian Hoyer Because why, why would you keep Jared Stidham who had a great rapport <laughs> with Adams and showed out well down the stretch? Why would you let him go to a division rival actually in the Broncos where could he usurp Russ maybe, but I don't know. Like he's a guy I'm comfortable fading. Could he be a low ownership guy who spikes? Could he just smash because he's like, you know, on a PPR site, probably less worried. I think the the sheer target volume with Jimmy could be good, but I don't know. It's just, it's hard to see the huge games. Um, Jonathan Taylor also in the mix for me, but he's kind of fallen out of the first. Ryan, you, you have some Raiders thoughts as well. Does that surprise you that Liam is not a huge Devonte Adams person this year? No, I mean, as you know, Josh, we're very much uh, – we think the Raiders can have the first overall pick next year, so everything Liam said was music to my ears. Thrilled about it, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I would recommend checking out our top 250 underdog best ball rankings on the33rdteam.com. They're free to view, and you will see that we are not particularly excited about Devontae Adams either. Liam, let's talk about this Miami backfield. Everybody's cheap. Devin A. Chain goes first round pick 115. Then we have Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson going very late in drafts. We saw a lot of usable best ball weeks last year from both Mostert and Wilson. How are you handling this backfield? We know there's fantasy points to be had somewhere. Well, I think I'm drafting a mix of them. The two I'm drafting the most right now, and this has changed as I've been drafting, but currently it's, it's uh, a chain and Wilson where you know, there's the Dalvin Cook rumor flying around. I don't really see the Cook fit all that much where, I mean, he was pretty rough last year, right? Like, um, and, you know, Wilson's 28, Moster's 31, maybe even. Moster's old, right? So uh, if, if anyone's going to have like a 300-point huge season, to me, it's a chain, right? Now, could and chain also just have like, a bunch of receptions and not really get it done on half point PPR. Absolutely. But I'm kind of viewing Wilson as the goal line back. Of course, Wilson was on my winning BBM two team. So loyal there. Um, but it's really not going to be shocking if like Mostert gets it done. It's a complicated situation. And if cook goes there, I don't really know what that means, but you know, I, I take shares of all of them, you know, like a chain's either going to fall really low on his, uh, face or, or, you know, smash. And it's an offense I want to bet on. 
Ryan, you and I are Gibbs guys through and through, but I, I was asked an interesting question on a podcast yesterday that I think bears repeating outside of draft capital. What is the huge difference between Jameer Gibbs in the fourth and Devin a chain in the ninth or 10th round at this point? Yeah, I guess that's fair. I think the the lines of a better offensive line offense runs more through their running backs, but yeah, I mean, I get it from a value standpoint for sure. Cause like you said, we're, we were big on Gibbs, you know, in the big board draft, we're now like, I'm not really taking a whole lot of them at cost current. Let's talk about a team that we're very excited about, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, Seattle backfield, obviously, Charbonnet going to Seattle hurts Kenneth Walker stock. I see that situation a bit like the 2020 Browns. Kenneth Walker is essentially Nick Chubb. Charbonnet is essentially Kareem Hunt. Walker is the primary ball carrier. I think he can still have enough usage to be at least, you know, fairly fantasy relevant what are your thoughts on that on that backfield Liam I mean this is not exactly imaginative by me but I view the situation as the 2022 Seahawks where Ken Walker is Rashad Penny and Charbonnet is Ken Walker right like does Charbonnet have a different skill set absolutely but I thought it was kind of funny that the market was like so low on Charbonnet considering we literally just saw this where it's like Penny was the guy Penny got hurt and then (laughs) Walker got all of it and smashed. And so to me, the answer there is like, I'm not, I'm not drafting any fourth round plus Ken Walker right now because you can get him in the fifth. And I'm really not sure he might even go a little bit lower. It feels like the fifth is the lowest he can go unless we get like injury or whatever. I get way more Charbonnet just the way I build my teams and, you know, I like the landing spot. I like the offense. Um, so I'm going to have way more Charbonnet over Walker, just kind of the due to cost. But I'm not giving up on Walker. But, like, you know, it, it, it's totally possible. The Seahawks are like, because Ken Walker was a little bit of a boom-bust guy, which is like we love in fantasy football for best ball. It's like I don't care if you run into the line 10 times in a row as long as you get that 80-yard touchdown. But – Teams might, right? Like teams might be like, mm, this is not great for us. We want to be a move the chains, ball control offense. We don't like how the home run hitter is missing blocked lanes or whatever. So it's not going to be that shocking to me if like Charbonnet forces a bigger role. He's kind of a big guy. He catches passes. So I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in both both pieces. They want to run the ball. It's good mm-hmm. offense. We could Maybe we could say Kenneth Walker is Saquon Barkley if he were born with one arm. Because uh, a lot of the the dancing around the, around the line of scrimmage, a lot of the big plays, not the pass catching. So if we took away one of his arms, then we wouldn't have the pass catching. So yeah, I'm I, workshopping I that one. It was, it was a little <laughs> rough coming out. I think I see some smiles. It, it seems like it's starting to marinate. Now let, we'll get serious again, because this is actually the thing that, Liam, you have helped me with the most in best ball. Talk about how you handle some of these earlier round tight ends like George Kittle, because it actually reshaped fundamentally how I view the tight end position in best ball. Well, and I would like Kittle. So we're calling these expensive tight ends. I would go all the way down to kind of the round 10 guys. So this is like Firemuth, Kincaid, Tier Plus, like Dalton Schultz, right? And basically the idea is that elite tight end or expensive tight ends are a have your cake and eat it too strategy to me, where you can win one of two ways. And, you know, people could say, well, this is true of any position, but at tight end, it's really important because tight end is a, is a high variance position. 
It's very touchdown dependent. You know, every position is on half point PPR, but more so than the others, right? Like the guy who falls in the end zone twice on four catches can be the tight end one on a week by a wide margin. And so the tight ends either are going to score similar to the wide outs and running backs going around their cost. And therefore they're going to advance rate you at a monster rate because you're throwing in 15 to 20 points at the tight end spot versus like five from the guy who's got like, you know, whoever, or they get destroyed because some wide outs and running backs give you a Josh Jacobs Cooper cup season at the cost you're taking them. And therefore you've built in a low owned high leverage player into your roster where if he spikes in the playoff weeks, which we've we just by chance, we've seen this the past couple of years where tight ends kind of the Goddard to the Kittles, the Hawkinson's a lot of them got outscored by running backs and wideouts in the range or the quarterbacks went off, but come the playoff weeks, they happened to go for a 30 point week, whatever. And they were the key to either advancing in a playoff around or winning tournaments. Let's talk about a strategy that's underutilized in large field tournaments. I would say that the, the one we just talked about with tight end is actually kind of underutilized in some ways. It feels like a lot of these elite tight ends are often on pretty bad looking teams after the, the Kelsey's. So that's one where I think it's really helped me. Let's, let's discuss one more for the people that you wish people were doing, or I guess not that you wish people were doing more of because our bankrolls are at stake, but that people should be doing more of. I'd probably just say any extreme strategy, right? Like people generally understand at running back now, like it's either you go quantity or quality, but you don't do both, but they don't tend to do that as much at wide receiver where if they start with five wide receivers, they still end up with like eight. So they're not drafting like they're right. So like, you know, a six wide receiver team is probably way underutilized by the field. There's, there's lots of things I think you can go there, but just any strategy that's extreme. So like ending your draft with four quarterbacks and, taking zero until then and be like, you know, I got the nuts at running back and wide out and tight end. And I'm going quantity at quarterback. I know it's probably not great, but as long as they can ping pong some weeks in the playoffs, uh, as long as I did hit the nuts at the other positions, which, you know, you're investing more capital in, maybe it could work. Ryan, let's jump around the show sheet. Let's talk about some late round quarterbacks while we're, while we're on this four quarterback build. Yeah. I mean, Oh, Sam Howell and Desmond Rear, Liam. They're both going at the top, the back end of drafts. They both have a stranglehold on the starting position. They both have some mobility. Do you have a preference between the two? I'm like way more Howell over Ritter, where to me, um, I mean, Howell showed something last year in the little bit of games. I'm hoping that Eric Bieniemy gets to decide who plays quarterback there. And like, you know, the, the commanders could be like a middling playoff team in a in a weak uh, NFC but I I just hope that they're like Brissett is not the answer Sal Howell has been you know it's only been two days of OTAs or whatever but he's performed well the first day I think um he actually does run the run the ball where we didn't really see that from Ritter like I think Ritter is fast but we didn't like see him run uh, and I think there's a big chance that Tannehill ends up a Falcon still like that's that's not out of the realm at all to me. 
I don't see why the Titans would be keeping on to Tannehill if they could get rid of him. You know, they're probably just moving on with the Levis show. So it's like, get what you can from him. The Falcons, if they could have Tannehill, would probably love it. It would be weird with Heineke there too, but yeah, I'm way more Howell over. It was like, you know, Howell is not Mac Jones, right? Like the, it's a different archetype of a late round quarterback. That would be pretty funny. I actually have Mariota and then go to Tannehill when the Titans had Mariota and then went to Tannehill. <laughs> so deja vu all over again in Atlanta. Liam, you are a Bills fan through and through. I know it's helped you a lot in best ball. And <laughs> we're trying to figure out this backfield. So Damien Harris or James Cook? I have a lot more uh, Damien Harris right now. I, But I, I don't – like James Cook is a player I need to start mixing in more because I, I view it similar to a chain where it's like if a player is going to have a huge 300-point season, it's Cook, right? He's a second-round pick. He's young. It's year two in the system. Uh, as long as he can like – get a huge workload and catch passes, he could go off, right? If he just runs on touchdowns. But I think Damon Harris has way more 200-point seasons in his repertoire where he just is the goal line back, gets the two rushing touchdowns. It's not out of the question that Latavius Murray like could jump ahead of him. But you know, to me, like Damian is a huge upgrade over Singletary. He's not going to catch passes, but James Cook really didn't either. Maybe Josh Allen just like doesn't like the check down. Um, Naheem Hines is like going to be a year in the system so he could catch passes too, but I don't know. I, I want to mix him more cook because he did, he did look good. He, you know, has breakaway speed, but I've just have way more Harris due to cost. Ryan, how are you feeling about this situation? Well, I'd love this answer because I too have much more Harris due to cost. I don't remember my exact exposure rate, but it's getting almost a little too high. So I'm very happy with Liam's answer on that question. Very happy. Let's take a quick break from best ball talk. 14 minutes in the people are tired of best ball. Just kidding. But I, I do think it's very interesting because on Twitter, you've been very transparent about your workouts today. Uh, what to say uh, Thursday, May 25th. It's day 26 of your new workout routine to prepare for the world series of poker. What's some benefit that you've noticed now that you're about one month into these daily workouts. Yeah, I mean, I'm not doing anything crazy here, right? Like, I'm not working out really hard. Just doing at least one thing a day. And unfortunately, actually, yesterday I was jump roping. I didn't warm up right, and I pulled a calf muscle. So, kinda, I guess this is a sore topic, bodies. actually. Yeah, no, <laughs> but uh, you know, the reason why I think I wanted to do the workout is I feel I play mental mind games a lot sharper when you do. Like, if you look at any world chess champion or any really top chess player, literally none of them are like out of shape and overweight because you need to be in physical shape to think you're best for long periods of time. And I played two chess tournaments and I, I felt the benefit of being in shape. Like I felt just very mentally clear and the same thing will carry over for poker where you oftentimes are making your biggest decisions in these tournaments at, you know, 2 AM, 1 AM Vegas time. I'm on the East coast. So it's like, you need to be sharpest, when most people are their most tired. I have a poker question myself. It's actually the first form of betting that uh, I really developed a strategy and a style in. So when I played, I'd call myself tight aggressive would probably be the way I'd frame my, my style. I was, I was a really tough out. I made a lot of logical decisions. 
but a guy like Gus Hansen, controlled chaos, would give me a lot of trouble. So I'm curious, what's your macro style for a big tournament like this? Yeah, I think I'm a little um, controlled chaos in the beginning stages right. where you can like that, but then you can lean on that, um, you know, image you built and kind of just like tighten up or you could do the opposite. You could start real tight and then get a little crazier trying to steal the blinds. And so, I don't know, I mix it up. I, I, I was definitely not the most studied at all poker player in the world. I put a little bit more effort studying the Sims, working with GTO Wizard or whatnot this year. Um, just putting a little bit of work in because I ran, I had a couple deep runs last year, but you know, the difference between like 40th place and like making a final table is a, is a big difference. And so uh, really just tried to focus more on like the ICM and being aware at those later stages in the tournament, if you're fortunate enough to make it, but you know, it's such a high variant sport that uh, you know, I do, I do a couple different things. And by, like by no means the best poker player or anything. Yeah, we're, we're, we're having you on for best ball. Don't worry, folks. We're about to get back to some best ball questions. But first, you do draft from exotic, different, relaxing, strange, fun locations. I see you in the hot tub. I, I see you in other locations that I'm not actually sure where they are. Do you have a certain <laughs> mental routine that you're going through before a best ball draft? Or is the entire point of drafting all over the place that you don't really want to get too comfortable or in too much of a routine? because of that potential chaos that happens in every unique best ball draft. Yeah. I think especially for something like best ball mania four or the DK Millie, where we're talking about close to a million entrants, if not over for some contents contest, it's like, you know what, you know, we should all strive to be in nature as humans. I think we all see big health benefits when we do. So it's like, draft from the hot tub, draft on a nature walk. Uh, you know, I'm not always doing that, but when I'm able to, I think it's it's good to, uh, you know, you spend a lot of time on your phone drafting these teams. You can't that can, you do hundreds, if not thousands of drafts. So got to find ways to get outside. Touch some grass if you would. Let's jump right back into best ball, man. Give us a player you only have one or two shares of over the several hundred drafts you do and why. I have no shares of Devontae Adams right now. Um from from earlier but i can i can give you someone else like give me a round give me a give me a round and i'll tell you let's look at like the middle rounds like yeah. uh rounds like seven through nine because that's actually a pretty pivotal point for people to start to kind of complete their their like starting lineup if you will sure let me i'm just gonna pull up a draft board real quick i did one today so okay seven to nine this is an interesting range it's where mm -hmm. a lot of the running backs go a lot of the wideouts, a lot of the quarterbacks um currently some players in that range i don't have a lot of you know i'll start off with like sky Moore. Um, i'm open to changing that stance very quickly with news i think that could be a leak in my game where me just like anyone else out there doesn't love the uncertainty of that room um sky was brutal last year i know and like could be usurped by rice for slot and like at running back i have very little Javante Williams and uh, Khalil Herbert right now, where it's like both of those are talented players who I want to actually bet on. So again, I think maybe I'm waiting for a little too much for camp news, but the offenses could be bad with Javante. It's just like his injury was so bad that I think it's going to be more like, and P Ryan's been good. So I, I feel like he's going to be on the field no matter what. And then with Herbert, it's just like, 
if it was just Herbert and Foreman, I'd have a lot of both. But I guess it's just afraid of the three-man backfields. And again, it could be a big leak for me where it's, you know, um, a, uh, you know, I'm just fading a three-man backfield where it's like, eh, maybe I just take shots of each. But, you know, you got to take some stands in a, you only get 150 drafts and the Bears and the Broncos aren't the best offenses to me to be betting on. It does seem like if you're going to bet on a three-man backfield, the one we talked about earlier, Miami, probably a better choice than the Bears. Miami back's going to catch more passes. That offense probably going to score more points. So I'm, I'm with you there. And I think that the parallel I keep making is Javante Williams for 2023 is 2022 J.K. Dobbins. Mm. Back in like and February. That was, and, that, and that was pretty brutal back then. <laughs> oh, it was terrible. Yeah, I think Dobbins had what, like 90 carries total last year. I was very in on Javante Williams in like February because I thought, hey, if we haven't heard any news yet, what if what if this guy's ready to go and he's going in like the the 70s range? And then every single bit of news that came out, all the all the Twitter physical therapists out there kind of made it seem like he's actually quite behind schedule. And when I couldn't find a single piece of positive news on him, I thought, you know what? We we have officially hit JK Dobbins where it was like Oh, he's limping in training camp. What's going on here? That doesn't seem quite right. And I, I'm kind of feeling like we're we're getting that situation all over again. Now, and uh, I would there's two mindsets to early drafting, right? Like, and I think I was burned last year, so I've shifted to one mindset. One mindset is lead lean into uncertainty, build these super teams because these players are going to rise in cost if news breaks right. So, like last year for me, I was drafting a lot of OBJ, Will Fuller. Ronald Jones. I had a lot of dead roster spots. So I think the other mindset is it's such an uncertain time. Zeros are bad for us. Take the guys you're more confident are going to be healthy. And then you can catch up on news if you need to. And it's like, I think both are fine, but you're going to burn a lot more teams the other way and maybe build more super teams, which would be good too. Sorry, Ryan, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say I'm out on Javante Williams too. I've actually shorted him on Mojo, which hopefully you guys, it comes to a state near you guys soon. I, I certainly hope so. I yeah, man. I hate nothing more than hearing about all the money Ryan's making on a platform <laughs> I can't quite use yet. So, Mojo, <laughs> please come to Colorado. Now, we, we hinted at it a little bit earlier with the tight end talk about some of these guys where it's like, oh, you get outscored during the regular season, and the next thing you know, they explode in the playoffs, and we think that all else equal is good. Can you talk a little bit more about the idea just in general of drafting a bad pick with a below average advance rate and kind of detailing what the difference is between the bad pick with the high, with the, like the, the low advance rate pick that's bad that you want versus someone like, uh, we just talked about Javante Williams. That is probably a bad pick. You don't want him though. Can you explain like how that, where that difference is with a, a couple player examples? Yeah. I, th- so, you know, a lot of people like to say, Oh, how are you how are you supposed to know who's going to be low owned for the playoffs like you can't know that and like i just full stop disagree i think it's it's pretty easy to intuitively think through quite a bit of players who are going to get outscored in the regular season or will have most of their production down late or basically will just be low advance rate but still have a high weekly ceiling um now some people would also say, well, you're naturally going to get those players. You're naturally going to have a guy who gets injured and comes back healthy, et cetera, situations that will happen. 
So you shouldn't take, you shouldn't be doing this on purpose, but you know, like last year, a guy who I thought could qualify as a low, you know, advanced rate player with a high weekly ceiling was Javante Williams last year, where it was people were thought he was too expensive because Melvin Gordon was going to get all this work. And so it's a have your cake and eat it too. Either that's true. And therefore he's low advance rate and he can still have a high, he can still go for 30. Right. So like if it lands in a playoff week, you're the only one betting from it or Melvin Gordon becomes a nothing and he smashes. Now, of course he got hurt. So it is what it is. I also say, give the tight end example. So like these Dalton Schultzes, these Dalton Kincaid, these Friar Moose, these guys who are going at the cost of some of the last running backs we feel comfortable about, right? It's like they're probably going to get way outscored in the regular season, but uh, they're going to be low-owned because of that. And if they produce in the playoff weeks, not many teams have them. Yeah, to, to tack on to that same subject, is there a player that you think will have a low advance rate that's going to come on strong in the playoffs besides the guys you just mentioned? Yeah, and, and before I answer that real quick, just to because I didn't answer one of parts of Josh's question, which was like Cam Akers is a guy last year who I think I faded because of the Achilles news and like the brutalness of the offense, maybe, and I just thought he was too expensive. So he's a guy who also was a low advance rate guy who had this high weekly ceiling, but I don't think it was the best process for like I think maybe Cam Akers drafters last year got a little lucky that he just like beat the Achilles because we were on we were unsure about the Achilles injury and, and returning from it. Like they're like, it seems like guys are doing that now, but back then I think we were a little bit more uncertain. So like, you know, sometimes you're just going to be whatever, but uh, to answer your question, Ryan, like obviously Jameson Williams is an easy know-how, right? Like he's going to miss mm-hmm. six games. He could have a huge game. Um, all the mid round tight ends um, at the top rounds. I would say a guy like Jonathan Taylor, which is like, it's hard to think through, right? Like, I think John, we both don't really love JT because we think the other guys are going to score more points, but we all know best ball's a weekly ceiling game and JT can score 40 and he gets the Raiders week 17 in a week, right? So it's like, he's a pretty easy guy to be like, oh, he high weekly ceiling, low advance rate. I could get leverage. Am I still going to draft a ton of him? No, because it's like at a certain point, the cut, like, you know, I don't first, First round picks typically don't win you contests. They can, they can just be. You need to have the guy, but you know, there's, there's a lot of first round guys who can score points. Yeah, I've started to force some Taylor exposure myself simply because, at the end of the day, he can go for 100 yards and two touchdowns any week. I, I do think that he's a terrible pick when it comes to advance rate, but I have forced a few shares, and it's why if you look at our top 250 best ball rankings you will see that we do not have Jonathan Taylor at a one out of five for our new rating system where Ryan and I pretty much spoon feed what we're, we're shooting for with player exposures. You'll see we are below the field on Taylor, but we are not fully fading him. And it's kind of what Liam said. If we, we have a, a time machine, we transport to week 17 and we go, wow, Jonathan Taylor had 120 yards and two touchdowns against the Raiders. I don't think any of us would be particularly surprised if someone won a few million dollars from what was a quote-unquote bad pick. Now let's talk about another one that's a quote-unquote bad pick. Gosh, I this guy cannot catch a break. DJ Moore. <laughs> Every sharp drafter hates DJ Moore. There is nothing more popular than ranting 
about why you should not be taking DJ Moore in the fourth round in best ball. Do you see DJ Moore as last year's Cam Akers or as last year's Javante Williams when it comes to someone who, yes, will probably be outscored by a lot of players in his range? I see DJ Moore as last year's DJ Moore. And I'm someone (laughs) who was way ahead of this compared to other people where a lot of people and a lot of analysts in this industry used to not consider the quality of the offense, right? Like they didn't kind of have this like projection mindset top-down approach they just said dj Moore's good at football it's gonna work out which is like at a certain cost you are right like we want to bet on talent a la garrett wilson last year right but we need to think of the cost and when dj Moore's a fourth round pick and we're just so much more confident in other offenses you know it's like of course it's a worse bet but at the same time i view literally any any quarterback wide receiver one stack as fine to do because they could pop off in the playoff weeks. They get the Falcons, right? So like, and I'm talking like literally, if you want to build a unique team, it's probably not the most plus EV in the world, but it could definitely win the contest easier than some chalk build. You could start any draft from like the 12 spot, like the one, two turn with like Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews or Justin Fields and DJ Moore. You could pay really over expensive prices for it. But you know your stack plus all your players after is unique. And so as long as they can ping pong you through the week and that stack gets off and the other chalk, the, the chalk players that correlate with DJ Moore and Justin Field selections fail in the playoffs, like you can sneak a low-owned guy in. And so in a DK 555 I did, a high-stakes draft, usually a little bit more plugged-in drafters, I was picking out of like the two spot and I got DJ Moore and Fields at the back. Like so at the... Um, yeah. at the three, four, six, or three, yeah, six, the, uh, four at the four, five, right? Four, so, mm. yeah, so at the four, five, rather than he goes right now an underdog, and usually he's more of a three, four. And I won't have a lot of him there because I mean, I don't know that it's not even clear if Moore's going to be that much of an alpha compared to Mooney and Claypool. He probably is, right? But, um, it, it's it's very much like the there's going to be some low advance rate guys who pop off in the playoffs. And how do you do that tastefully? So yeah, I think he's a bad pick for season long scoring, but I think you can have individual spike weeks, obviously. Right. And it's like, is it going to be shocking if the bears do not run a 1980s offense and actually throw the ball a little bit and like have big improvements? No, like it, it's not going to be that shocking to me. Do I think it's going to be Josh Allen to Stefan Diggs or AJ Brown to Jalen hurts also? No, but like it could be close. Now, uh, before we keep going, I, I pulled something up. This is from today. The Athletic is reporting from one of their beat reporters that Jimmy Garoppolo had foot surgery in March and his timeline and recovery are still unknown. The team is, quote, confident he'll be ready to start the season. That actually sounds absolutely terrifying. If that's yeah, being that, reported that's what I brought now, up. Yeah, that's, that was, awful. yeah, I was, I was trying to find more info. That was from today. Now, Ryan, before we, we move on, talk about, how you view the Bears 2023 outlook on offense, because this, as Liam kind of hinted at, it was like the, this weird old school offense for the first couple months of the season. And then they actually picked up a little bit of steam. I'm pretty aligned with Liam on this. I, I'd actually kind of compare it to what Nick Sirianni's Eagles did with Jalen Hurts in year one. They went run heavy because they were struggling to throw the ball. Last year, Justin Fields had no tools on offense, below average pass protection offensive line. They've gotten better in both areas. 
The other thing that I like about this this scenario is Chicago adjusted in season last year, just like the Eagles. So I think, to Liam's point too, I think they might do that again this year. I think they want to be more pass-heavy than they were last year. So I, I'm with you on that, actually, Liam. All right. Ryan, you, you know you know what I'm ready for. <laughs> this, this is a absolutely yeah. terrible audio-only podcast listening experience. <laughs> I was making hand signals. So <laughs> apologies to all the audio <laughs> listeners out there. I also like the Bears' playoff schedule. Uh, they get like the whole schedule, but they get Falcons week 17. So it's like that defense actually could be really good, but still it's like, I don't know. That that and Raiders Colts are two games that I really like in week 17 that are kind of like not quite under the radar, but a little bit under the radar versus the, the more chalky ones. Speaking of stacking games, are there two teams that you really like to stack this year? Liam? Well, definitely the Bills, right? Like, no-brainer, good offense, like the team. Um, and then if I only could give you a second team, I guess I'd go with the Seahawks. I really like that pass, like especially against the Steelers who typically run more man, at least they, they have. Now that could change, but like, can't you just see DK Metcalf going for like 102 or maybe JSN or Lockett or whoever? Um but, you know, there's a lot of teams I like to stack. I like to stack in general. All right. Now, we, we talked about these Week 17 games just now a little bit, and you wrote them up for the site on the33rdteam.com. It's a free article. Make sure you check that out. Liam's favorite Week 17 games to stack. Uh, I haven't had anyone discuss this yet, or at least I haven't heard it, but is there an equilibrium point where obviously right now – you're writing that article. We're talking about it because we should be stacking for week 17. Do we hit a point where suddenly it's too saturated of a strategy and that ultimately if everyone is stacking for week 17, now we move this way? Or is this something that is just too fundamental to ever consider an equilibrium point for it? It's hard to say, right? Like um, a bit of a tangent, but similar is the year after Herzig won Best Ball Mania 1, he went on a bunch of streams and, you know, best ball content was new then. And he's like, Oh, I use this hyper fragile RB strategy. And what we saw is like, we saw like an absurd 40% of teams or something, a best ball mania to you utilize that strategy because, because it's like, it worked <laughs> and like, everyone were like, all right, cool. Copy the leader. Right. And so we know week 17 game stacks um, are easier to, or just game stacking in general lets you easier hit like a 90%, 95% tile outcome. You don't hit 100% tile outcomes in terms of the theoretical max points you can have, but it makes it easier to hit those things. So it's not something like there are some drafts where I'll force it. I'll just like force a game stack I like early, but there's also drafts I do right now where I end up with very little week 17 and it's more of me betting on a single team week 17. Like I like their matchup rather than doing the game stack. And then of course, just trying to do it cheap and, and weirdly where it's like you take a quarterback and you do just the opposing team wide receiver where it's like somehow, uh, you know, like, I don't know, Anthony Richardson and like Hunter Renfro, even though he's probably going to get traded. Like that would be a weird week 17 correlation where it's like, eh, it makes sense though. Still like Richardson could go for 30 mainly through the ground and Hunter Renfro could catch one touchdown, and Jimmy G still has a terrible points, so you don't need him. You need the opposing quarterback, 
and the opposing wide receiver, you're still correlated. But it's it's something that like we're gonna need a lot more seasons to answer. Mm-hmm. I think this question in full. Like, is there gonna be a bit of a copycat effect this year? And maybe it chills out if like no week 17 game stacks win best ball mania four who knows right but like we want to be aware of the psyche of that's going on here i'll actually make a quick parallel this feels a lot like the running back dead zone where when the running back dead zone was first discussed we had these dusty running backs remember like david like 29 year old david johnson when it was like is this guy even the starter but he would still like people would be forcing him in like the fourth and fifth round of best ball drafts Le'Veon on the jets yeah, and now you look and you're like, oh, some of these like ETN and Gibbs are kind of there. And like that doesn't really look anything like a like 29-year-old David Johnson. So I think it's no. kind of interesting with like the week 17 stuff and all that, where like you said, we're still in our infancy of this. And that I remember when people were like, Hey, the running back dead zone means you can't draft players in the fourth round. And I was like, Well, I actually think the players in the fourth round just don't look like the, the dead zone backs because we're all aware of the dead zone. And then these guys get pushed down and things change. So it's very interesting how reactive we are to these like uh, one year samples almost. Curious about this. Josh and I are both Tyler Conklin guys, Liam, you have any interest in talking, talking us out of a 20 plus exposure rate on them? <laughs> well, I'm a Tyler Conklin guy for three years running. Actually, this would be what, my wonderful. Third or fourth year, uh, <laughs> I had. I had, you know, last year in DK, I would I would end with a lot of four tight end teams, and Conklin would always be on those because I just bet a bit against Uzuma. I thought Conklin was the better pass catcher. Yeah. Um, so what, and he's so, like five years younger, isn't he? He's like, well, and he and he showed out good with like Cousins, and this year he's like one of the last guys you feel good about because like yeah. after him, it's like it's you're gambling on it or you're yeah. like, okay, maybe yeah. Noah Fant gets more of a role, but he, you know, and, and he has legitimate upside attached to Aaron Rodgers, right? Like we've never seen Rodgers be a huge tight end guy, but Conklin's been pretty favorite, you know, pass catcher favorite to his quarterback. So I like, I like the pick. All right. It looks like we all agree on Tyler Conklin. The listeners, they're disgusted. They want the disagreement. They hate that we agree on everything. Don't worry. It's time to deliver some controversy. So I figured I would just rant about why I hate Anthony Richardson as a player, not a person. Calm down, everyone. <laughs> so I I love Anthony Richardson in Dynasty. He's my Boo. 102. In, <laughs> Richardson is my 102 in rookie drafts behind Bijan pretty comfortably. And I was so excited to like him in redraft. And then I saw the ADP of quarterback 10 on underdog. So I did some digging. And it turns out the past 15 years, There have only been four rookie quarterbacks in 15 years. Basically, once every four years, there's a rookie quarterback who scores at least 18 fantasy points a game. You might be like, that's a weird cherry-picked number, Josh. It is cherry-picked because that would be the quarterback 13 last year in points per game. 13. There have been four quarterbacks in 15 years as rookies that would have even been the quarterback 13 per game. Anthony Richardson going at quarterback 10. He's thrown under 400 career pass attempts in college, 24 career passing touchdowns, which is about 25 to 40% of what most other first round quarterbacks have throughout their college career. I am mostly out on Richardson at ADP. I'm going to pass this one to Ryan first. Give the people something good about a player that I think is becoming a fish pick 
four in 15 years. I think just, just just talking about his rookie season in general, I think there's a few guys we can talk about as like potential parallels. One of them is not Cam Newton. Cam Newton won a national title. I don't think any, Anthony Richards is having a Cam Newton rookie season. However, Daniel Jones, Jalen Hurts, those are two guys where we can get three or four massive spike week out of them this year, I think. And on top of that, that week 17 matchup that we just brought up before, if Richardson led all quarterbacks in scoring that, that week, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. And like Liam said, I've been trying to stack that game in unconventional ways myself. Not super crazy about Richardson's ADP currently, but I'm forcing him specifically for that matchup. Liam, anything to add on here? I I have like three Richardson shares through maybe 60 drafts at this point. Should Should I increase that exposure? I'm a big Richardson guy, right? I think if Fields and Lance had succeeded instead of failed their their rookie years where Fields, obviously, like the coaching staff, like just refused to let him do what he was good. So I feel it's not fair to use that season. And then Lance, uh, it was the Jimmy thing. It was the injury thing. But, I mean, this is literally the most athletic dude of all time. If he is 85% to 90% of Justin Fields from last year, where it's like, Justin Fields sucked and was a great fantasy asset, right? He was just strictly doing it on the ground. I, you know, it, it's a little bit, it's close to unpalatable, but I still think he is the odds-on favorite to be on the regular season winning team, like a Richardson start with anyone else to me. Um, I see no reason why he can't have a bunch of rushing touchdowns, rushing yards, and improve as a passer because, you know, I like a lot of his cheap stacking options. So I, I'm always going to bet on the fields, the Lances, the Richardsons. I refuse to miss the quarterback five season at a QB 10 price or cheaper where really in that round two, it's like, it's still palatable in round eight where it's like, okay, yeah, you're fading like a Gabe Davis or Deontay Johnson, like guys you like, but guys who are probably not going to break the slate this year. I definitely liked Anthony Richardson better when Ryan identified him as one of his favorite targets in the big board when he was going in the 200s, pick 80. It feels very tough to pay that price when we were getting him in the 200s. But speaking of 200s, you like Sam Howell, who's one more ultra late round quarterback where you need to sneak in a third quarterback to complete your build. Who are you looking to? Sam Howell just got taken. I'm sorry. He... He was in your queue, the person before. Before but he goes drafted now, and he's climbing a little bit actually. But uh, he, he, real he quick on what you up. said, it it's a mind trap that I've fallen into as well. Where in a previous contest, like pre-draft best board ball, whatever, like we're getting these players at prices we enjoy, and then they're different cost in a different contest. So we are fading them because we bought this exposure at at a cheaper cost, and like I think that has its flaws like i've definitely missed out on some guys it's like i was right to identify this player he got a little bit more expensive but it's not crazy i still like the player right and it's a different contest now so like yeah there's some there's some 10th round anthony richardson 12th round anthony richardson floating out there very few percent a lot's going to be where it is he has a chance to still fall a little bit right because if he has terrible camp reports rolls an ankle whatever um of course he's going to fall behind those guys but he can't go like past the geno tier uh, anyways, late round quarterback. It's not Baker Mayfield, right? It's not Desmond Mitter, as people have been calling him. It, it's Will <laughs> Levis. If we need a guy who uh, is a question mark, who could 
be, you know, a poor man's Geno Smith, if you would, from last year. I, I think he runs the ball a little bit. Like, he's kind of a big guy. I'm counting on Tannehill getting out of there. Could it fall on my face? Absolutely. Could he be, like, a 12-point-per-game guy? Absolutely. But I'm hoping, like, the offense is so bad he needs to run the ball occasionally. And so in the 20th, 18th round, and a benefit is no one else is drafting him. He's going to be on, like, if things hold, he would be on, like, sub-5% of teams. Obviously, that will change if, like, we get news. But I'm rolling the dice on him if everyone else hates him. It's like, okay, everyone hated Geno Smith, too. It's like, just fade the crowd, get the cheap guy. I've been doing that a little bit myself. I feel a little less insane now. Same kind of question, late round running back dart throw. I actually love round 18, so I can't wait for your answer on that. I think, you know, I want to – I'm going to say some guys here, but I want – anyone listening to this to understand this is not a hard exercise you do not do yourself a favor for me to spout a name off and then strictly copy that right the benefit of me saying a guy who's on a low owned percent of teams is strictly because he's on a low owned percent of teams i'm not that much better at identifying the guys who are probably going to be usable here it could be one of a trillion guys so think through yourself of some guys out there but, you know, a, a late-round RB dart would be like, you know, I think Jerome Ford's passed there where he's now officially, like, climbing now. He used to be the old guy. But uh, how about gambling on Zamir White, right? Like, Josh Jacobs, heavy workload. Uh, Zamir White, athletic freak, didn't get a lot of usage last year. If Jacobs goes down, could be him. Or maybe Dwayne McBride. Like, it could be, like, one of literally a trillion names here. There's a lot. The point is, there's a lot of guys who are going to play in the NFL who are not getting drafted right now. I'm going to throw a name out there. I I keep I mention it on so many podcasts. I think people just fade my opinion, or they're terrified to take an undrafted player. I can't figure it out. What the heck's going on with Eric Gray? He looks like the direct backup to Saquon Barkley. Competent runner, competent pass catcher, undrafted in pretty much every draft except when I take him. Gary Brightwell and Matt Breida don't even scare me in the slightest on this depth chart. I, I don't know anyone that thinks Saquon's a picture of perfect health. So do either of you guys understand why no one drafts Eric Gray? I'd love to be proven wrong on this so I can calm down some of the round 18 exposure because when I want a round 18 running back, I'd say once every six times I'm taking the undrafted Eric Gray. I've been drafting him uh, somewhat myself, fifth-round pick. He, To me, he comps to Devin Singletary. Uh, it makes sense, too, why Dable might go for that, where he's not a burner. There, I think he is a pass-catching guy, so like he, there's outs for him just being a third down back right out of the gate. But the case with a lot of these guys is we're going to be wrong sometimes about who the RB2 is, and so... The, the times that we hit Eric Gray is the RB2, and then he has contingent upside is great. But the cases where it is Brita, or you know, you could take another backfield, Evan Hull went in the same round, fifth round pick, but also it could be Zach Moss, it could be Deion Jackson, right? So it's like, I'm okay burning some teams and taking the RB3 sometimes, but it's also like we should recognize we should not have 100% Eric Gray because sometimes it is Brita, right? Like, I'm not afraid of him either, but it could be. I like that. I've, I've taken Gray to an extent. He's definitely part of my cluster. Take him more often on DraftKings, but yeah, I, I love what Liam just said right there too, that you don't want to go all in on a guy in Eric Gray's position. Yeah, this kind of parallels to something that Ian Miller, our lead dynasty analyst, talks about when he says 
you're taking a dart throw in a dynasty rookie draft on a running back, don't take the same one every single time because these guys are all dart throws for a reason. None of them project to be very good. You ultimately need an injury for all of them. We might be able to bet on guys we think are higher on the depth chart, but at the end of the day, if we knew exactly which running backs would get injured, then this wouldn't be fun. And it would, there'd be some type of rigged simulation. I don't want to get the conspiracy theorists too riled up. Let's talk about wide receivers. Give us a late round dart throat receiver. Everyone always says you can't find late round receivers. You have to take them early. I remember Zay Jones from last year. So who, who, who out there can be a fantasy relevant dart throw at receiver? Yeah. On what you said, I used to say, um, you should fall in love with the new guy every week or whatever. If you, if you're constantly in drafting, <laughs> right? Like just fall around with a new 18th round pick. So, and sometimes the guy doesn't go undrafted. Sometimes he's just Deontay Foreman from last year. And he was just always there in the 18th round. You're like, Oh, I'm tired of taking this guy, but it's like, Nope, actually it was him the whole time. But, um, a late round wide receiver is a different bet than the RB, right? The RB typically has a lot more value if he does hit because he's, you know, he's a, a he's a running back, B it's contingent value. So he has way more consistent 20 point games in his repertoire when you do hit on that. So I like late round RB darts better, but wide receiver, you're typically looking more for like three to five spike weeks where some land in the playoffs. Um, a guy at the start of the season for me, I'm trying to name guys who are going strictly undrafted would be like Darius Slayton, who to me just seemed like he's the outside guy. He ran cold on touchdowns. Why couldn't it be this year? He seems to be consistently being drafted now though. So I guess another one I would offer, there's a lot of darts at wideout you can take. Um, I, you know, could be Corey Davis, could be Deontay Hardy, could be a lot of different guys who, uh, and, and just, you know, we should be like stacking these guys typically. Right. So it's like, if we have Aaron Rodgers, maybe I'm taking Corey Davis. If I have Lamar Jackson, maybe I'm taking Duvernay. If I have Josh Allen, maybe I'm taking Deontay Hardy. Right. There's a, mm -hmm. there's a lot of guys who could fall into some spike weeks. Ryan, the, the Chiefs we both, guys, Yeah. Right. Ryan, we've, we've liked Slayton. I guess we, we have some yeah. more agreement. It seems like Richardson so far is the, the big contention point, huge contention point. Ryan, give us a name that you like at receiver. That's not Darius Slayton. We've talked about him too much. Uh, that's an interesting late round option for you. It's actually Corey Davis. I mean, Corey Davis was a top 10 pick. He's never played with an elite quarterback before. I'm not out. The only concern I have with Alan Lazard is his rapport with Aaron Rodgers. But like, do I think in a vacuum, Corey Davis is a better, more dynamic player than Alan Lazard? My answer is absolutely. Not sure if it shakes out that way, but when I can't get Slayton in round 18, Davis is generally the guy that I pivot to more times than not. I'm going to give you guys a crazy name. I, I think I've taken him just once, but I understand the thesis of it in my head. Chosen, Robbie Anderson. He is on the Dolphins. The Dolphins have two ridiculous talents in Waddle and Hill, and then Borscht. It is Chosen Anderson. It's Cedric Wilson. It's Braxton Berrios. We know this offense flows through the receivers of Hill and Waddle. If one of them got hurt, only one other guy on the depth chart, Chosen Anderson, has been capable of 20% target shares in his past, and he runs a 4-3. Why should I stop taking him? I understand the name change is off-putting to some, going from Robbie to Chosen, but why, why should I never draft this guy? Or am I allowed to take him every 30 to 40 drafts? We sneak a, we sneak a Chosen in. 
I think if Tyreek or Waddle gets hurt, it could work for, you know, he could show for a spike week. I think Berrios is the favorite to outscore him because I think Berrios could just be the slot, you know, kind of like what Trent Sherfield did last year. But um, there's worse picks in the world. But, you know, Chosen Anderson probably out of the league soon, right? Like this is a third <laughs> name change. That's typically not a great sign for players. Uh, he's had some police trouble in the past. <laughs> you know, <I> don't know. <laughs> The fact that you're making me consider this guy at all has kind of ruined my day a little bit, Josh, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> just, it, does make, it does make sense it, on some Once it hits your head, you're kind of like, oh, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. It's, I he was good like three yeah. years ago or two two years ago. Yeah. He was yeah. good. Recently. I used to be a big Robbie Anderson guy. I'm, S- uh... Same, same. Yeah, I've been hurt before. <laughs> I've been hurt here. <laughs> yeah. Let's finish this. Let's finish this little segment off with the same general premise. We can't use Tyler Conklin. What's a late tight tight end, late round tar, tight end dark throw you like? A guy who I've gambled on somewhat. I'm talking sub five percent of teams is Luke Schoenmacher. I have no idea if he's going to be the tight end one. His downside is literally blocking tight end slash uh, out of the league, but. Plays for the Cowboys. Dalton Schultz is out of there. Second round pick. Maybe it's Jake Ferguson. Maybe it's Schumacher. Maybe the presence of Brandon Cooks means there's not like the Dalton Schultz role is gone. Um, but I've rolled the dice somewhat. I've taken him a few times too. He runs a four six like Travis Kelsey. And I, I know pre-draft, we were pretty certain he was going to be a day three pick. The, the round two draft capital was pretty wild. But sometimes you have to adjust, and uh, adjust we will. I've taken him a couple times myself. Uh, you, I think you can do worse than choosing the, the someone in an ambiguous tight end room on an elite scoring offense. Now, before we ask Liam one final question, just a reminder to follow us all on Twitter. Liam Murphy is at Chess Liam. Ryan Reynolds is at Ryan Reynolds NFL. I'm at Jay Larky Tweets. Make sure you're checking out all of Liam's work, Ryan's work, my work at the33rdteam.com. We just put out a huge best ball compilation piece that Ryan created with links to everything we've done for best ball. One easy place. You can see our rankings. You can see Liam's strategy articles. You can see Jordan Vanek, even the, the brilliant DFS mind. Ryan recruited him to treat week 17 like a dfs contest and how he'd approach it there's a lot of great content that you must be checking out now it's time to get us out of here liam you won best ball mania with amon ross st brown and rashad penny from that wild 51 to 29 seattle detroit game two seasons ago which correlated late round duo turns an underdog drafter into a millionaire in 2023 (laughs) I just want anyone listening to know that this is a total stab, right? Obviously, I don't <laughs> know the answer to this. Uh, so let's go with Tajay Spears and Nico Collins. The ugly defenses, hopefully. Nico is that surprising, really strong season wide receiver one on his team. Uh, Derek Henry shipped out of there. The Tajay Spears show before his knees are done. You know, it's using up his rookie year. And, you know, just get that 25-point uh, game from each. You see what I'm doing? I'm writing it in pen. You heard it here <laughs> first, folks. 
Nico Collins, Tajay Spears, the late round correlation that you need. 